Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to History of College Football Podcast. I am Jay Abramson, and I will take you down a gridiron memory lane. The national champions, the teams, the rivalries. The conferences, the Heisman winners, the rankings. Today, we are lucky and I am honored to have a very special guest, Mr. Phil Seal. Mr. Phil Steele has proven to be the most accurate college football analyst in recent history. As a committee member and voter of 15 different college football awards, including the Heisman, no one does more homework than Phil. He authors the best-selling college football preseason magazine, College Football Preview. He may be found on Twitter at Phil Steele 042. That's at P-H-I-L-S-T-E-E-L-E 042. It is indeed an honor to have you on my podcast. First, hey, thank, thank you oh, very thank much, you. Jay. I appreciate that. Oh, I appreciate you taking the time to do this, sir. Your preseason college football preview magazine, it has become a mainstay for college football enthusiasts. It is incredibly accurate, filled with literally thousands of valuable detail stats and data going back years. Now, I've been an avid reader of your magazine for over 20 years. Tell me, sir, how you started your incredible college football preview magazine, College Football Preview. Uh, Well, I tell you what, what I was doing, uh, Jay, was I was writing a football newsletter. And each year what I would do is go out and buy the 20 preseason magazines that were out at that time. I'm talking about the early 1990s. And then I would have my notebook open and jot down every single name of every player that was mentioned, anything that was about them and try to gather my information that way. Well, the the, uh, bottom line is when I got to the end of going through all 20 magazines, there were some teams I didn't even have a one deep on, let alone like my magazine has a three to four deep on each team. So I decided at that point, you know what? I need to start getting this information myself. We started getting the rosters for every single team keeping every piece of information I could gather on every single player. And uh, that went on for a few years. And then one year, uh, somebody came in my office, saw my notebook, which had is pretty much laid out like the magazine and said, why don't you turn that into a magazine? So the first year was 1995. It was black and white. It was on newsprint. Believe it or not, it was only 192 pages and we only covered 88 teams back then, but we put out that first one and, it seemed like whenever somebody got their hands on all this information, three deeps, four deeps on each team, and the same amount of coverage on the small teams as we gave on the large teams, they had to have it each and every year. So after about five or six years, we moved to full color. Now we're all the way up to 352 pages. And I personally like to feel it's like getting 130 media guides all rolled into one. Oh, well, the amount of detail you have and facts it's just for any college football junkie, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's a haven. It really is. And the accuracy of your magazine is simply unparalleled. Can you talk a little bit about the accuracy of the past 23 years so our listeners get a sense of the broad spectrum of your work? Yeah, first of all, how the accuracy is determined, it's by an independent website, which I didn't even know existed 23 years ago. 
preseason.stassen.com. And what they do is uh, they, they compile all the uh, folks that are making forecasts from the magazines and they uh, show their rankings. And it, basically, if you pick a team first and they finish fourth, you're given three points. If you pick a team to finish second and they finish seventh, once again, five points, or you pick a team to finish seventh and they finish first, you're given six points. And it, much like golf, it's the low score wins. And over the last 23 years, we have had by far the lowest score of all the magazines. Now, it's not just luck or anything like that. It's because that's all I do. I don't follow NBA. I don't follow uh, baseball. I don't follow any other sport. All I work on year round is college football. The magazine itself is a seven and a half month process to get done. I go through the first right through, which is every November, December, and January. And that I read through every article that is written about each team for the year, get that all up to speed, get through their entire first right through process. Then the second right through process, we add in the freshmen, any transfers. And then I talk to the coaches. And this year I talked to 110 of the 130 head coaches out there this year going wow. over their team with them. And I send them my pages, which go four deep and have every single player on the team and all my notes and all the stats. And I say, coach, put me in order. So the calls generally take about an hour to an hour and a half. They put my team in the right order. So, you know, the four deeps you're getting in my magazine are correct. And uh, they also give me some background on each of the players, strengths, weaknesses, things I should know for the upcoming season. All that information is compiled. I have nine different sets of power ratings. They project out the season. And then I get in there and do my forecasts. And uh, as, as you mentioned, over the last 23 years, by far the most accurate magazine out there. Oh, the amount of research you do, it's unimaginable. And you said 110 out of the 130 FBS coaches. Incredible. I got a couple of questions that I always wanted to know. And I guess I'll start by going back to last season. What was what you would consider your best predictions, the one you're most proud of for last season? Uh, I'm going to go with four of them for you. Yes, yes sir. Uh, the first one, we've had a really good track record with our surprise teams and a surprise team. Now, as you know, Jay, being a historian like yourself, it seems like recently it's just the same teams in the playoff every year, right? Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and either Oklahoma or Notre Dame. Well, my surprise team takes a non-top 10 team and it gives them their shot at making the playoff. Last year, my number one surprise team was Texas A&M coming off a five-loss season. I said they had a shot at a playoff, and there was Selection Sunday, Texas A&M or Ohio State, Ohio State, Texas A&M. So the Aggies definitely delivered for me. You know, if you're talking to the second forecast would be after talking to uh, Kalani Sataki, the coach of BYU, uh, we were in agreement. It was his best team ever. And the one thing he said to me as we were getting off the phone was, Phil, we don't play the same schedule we used to. Well, when the new schedule was found for BYU, I said on many of my radio shows at the start of the year that BYU could go unbeaten. And they almost did. The only loss was Coastal Carolina, a game that was hastily arranged in two days. They had to travel to the East Coast and play an option team, which is almost unthinkable. They came up a foot short of the goal line. But BYU nearly achieved that undefeated record. And then my two most improved teams last year. I had Miami of Florida coming off a six and seven season as my number one most improved team. Late in the year, they were eight and one and number nine in the polls. So that looked really good. And then how about Northwestern coming off a three and nine season? I had on my number two most improved team in the country. There they were in the Big Ten title game, and they actually finished number 10 on the season. So all four of those things uh, were the best predictions out of last year's magazine. Oh, well, I understand what you're saying in the amount of research and, and, and data that you put together. 
but still the foresight you have, I don't know how you do it. I hate to ask this question, but, but I'm just curious as the season unfolded, what was your biggest surprise? I had three huge surprises for me. And uh, the first one would have been coastal Carolina. Uh, They were generally picked last in their division and finished number 14, only one loss on the entire season, just an incredible year for coastal. Uh, Their only loss came to Liberty, another huge surprise. I did not expect Hugh Freeze to knock off two ACC teams, nearly knock off another. In fact, came up a field goal short of being unbeaten. They had a field goal at the end of the game that was blocked. Had they got that field goal, it would have been a completely unbeaten season for Liberty. And then how about Ball State? I thought that their head coach, Mike New, was a little aggressive at the start of the year, saying MAC championship game or bust. They lost their first MAC game, but then they won all the rest and won the MAC title game and finished number 23 in the country. So I think Coastal, Liberty, and Ball State were all huge surprises last year. Great stuff. Great stuff. Now, if I may ask you the same questions going back over the last, what, 23 years, starting with, in your mind, what was the best projections, the ones you were most proud of over the span of the past 23 years? Well, I started the surprise team article in 2002. And uh, that was taking non-top 10 teams that I thought could win a championship when it was a two uh, champion, when it was the BCS. And in 2002, my number one surprise team was the Ohio State Buckeyes. Mm. And Ohio State won the national title. So I felt pretty good. They weren't even in the top 10 that year. Then the very next year, LSU was not in the top 10. I had to miss my number two surprise team. Lo and behold, when the dust cleared, LSU was the national championship. Skip ahead to 2013, Florida State was my number one surprise team. Once again, they were number 11 in the AP poll at the start of the year. They won the national championship. And then recently, since we've gone to the 14 playoff, my surprise team is picking teams just to make the playoff that aren't in the top 10. And as you know, that rarely happens. But in 2016, I had Washington, my number one surprise team. They were coming off a seven and six season. Washington made the playoff in 2016. 2018, Notre Dame was number 12 in the AP poll. I had on my number one surprise team. Notre Dame made the playoff despite not being in the top 10 at the start of the year. So those two were considered shockers. And then even the last two years, I talked about AM. In 2019, I had Utah, non-top 10 team to make the playoff, coming off a five-loss season. And at the end of the year, had Utah won the Pac-12 title game, they actually would have made the playoff. So pretty good track record with those surprise teams. Oh, absolutely outstanding. I don't know how you do it. I got to ask this question. As the seasons over these past 20, 23 years have unfolded, what were your biggest surprises? Oh, Boy, it's, there have been so many uh, big surprises uh, throughout the years. Uh, that one, I'm probably not prepared to give you a complete answer. I hate to give you an answer and then say, oh, I missed out on 10 of them. So uh, <laughs> let's, let's skip to a, a different one than that. Absolutely. So tell us about your life these days. Uh, it's, it's college football, Ted. Uh, you know, during the football season, I've got 12 TVs in front of me on Saturday. Wow. So I'm watching 12 games all day long. Then on Sunday, after sitting at a desk for uh, basically 24 hours on Saturday, I walk around and watch replays of the games where maybe I didn't listen to the entire game or uh, I just want to see every play specifically of that game. So I watch replays, go through the play-by-play of every game, Mondays and Tuesdays, then start working on the next week's games and, and looking at who I like for the next weekend, who I think is going to win, and, and check my power rings out. 
then the whole cycle starts again. And then once football season's over, uh, it's the end of November. Some team seasons are complete. It's time to start writing that next year's magazine. So I got seven months writing the magazine all the way from the end of November to the middle of June. Finally, June, July, the second half of June, July and August, I'm just doing maybe eight to 10 radio shows a day. And I get to spend a lot of time with my daughter who's now 15. We go to Cedar Point, which is locally here by Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, spend a lot of time there riding all the rides and and just having fun. But it's, uh, I would say, 10 of the 12 months during the year. It's just college football door to door. Oh, that is, that is just incredible. And if I caught that right, you actually start the next season's preseason magazine, you said, in late November. Yes, as soon as some team yeah. seasons are complete, we can begin writing the post recap form. So it, it is a seven and a half month process. Wow, your attention to detail unparalleled. So, so my podcast is History of College Football. And with my guests, if they're amenable, um, I'll ask just a few purely fun questions about the history of college football. Would you be amenable to this? Let's do it, uh, Jay. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, good sir. I appreciate you. Who is your favorite player in college football history? Well, I'm actually going to give you this in, in three different levels, if I can, yes, Jay. Yes, uh, probably favorite overall player, Jim Brown, but I have to admit, I'm not old enough to have watched him play at Syracuse, but I know what he did with the Cleveland Browns. I was born and raised in Cleveland, and so I would have to say that he was one of my favorite college players of all time, even though I never saw him. Now, childhood favorite players would be Archie Griffin of Ohio State, a two-time Heisman Trophy winner, and then Earl Campbell, just an unstoppable force. You wonder how you could even tackle that guy. Those two were probably the biggest two that I had in my childhood. And then I'm going to go with a couple more running backs for uh, after that. It would be Ricky Williams of Texas and Ron Dane of Wisconsin. And we go back to the magazine. Both years I projected Ricky Williams to win the Heisman and Ron Dane to win the Heisman. Uh, they were rather long shots heading into the year, but they both delivered me the Heisman Trophy and finished as the all-time leading rusher when they were done. So uh, those two would be the most recent ones. Well, you nailed that on the head. What is your most memorable play in college football history? You know, I'd have to go back to the, uh, the Rose Bowl in 2006 between USC and Texas. USC the favorite, USC almost unstoppable. Texas facing a fourth and five. And Vince, Ron, Vince Young just takes off and runs into the end zone with the touchdown for a shocking upset and a, a Texas win in the Rose Bowl. I think that had to be one of the greatest plays in college football history. You just made my son, Dig, very happy. He and I have a running argument. Dig says that's the greatest game ever, and I fall back to either the 71 Nebraska-Oklahoma game or the Boise State-Oklahoma game. So you just made my son very happy. So what was the, what was the greatest game in college football history? That was the greatest play. How about the greatest game? Good lead-in, I guess, for it. I'm going to give you two. Uh, yes. one, one again from my childhood. I would have to go back to that Nebraska-Oklahoma game. Mm -hmm. Wasn't that something? Uh, oh, Jeff Rogers and uh, for Nebraska delivering the 35 to 31 win just a remarkable game it was irresistible force versus immovable object on the cover of Sports Illustrated the two teams were juggernauts and as it turned out Nebraska came away with the win that day and uh, I, I vividly remember watching every single play of a scintillating game and then the second one more recently uh, and it would have to be 1984's Orange Bowl when Miami played Nebraska once again, Nebraska was thought of as unstoppable that year. And Miami was just an up-and-coming team. 
led by some guy, Bernie Kozar. And all of a sudden, they get to the end of the game. Nebraska makes a big comeback. They're going to undo everything that happened in the game and come out with the win. And then they stop Gill on the two-point conversion for an exciting play. So uh, those two would be right at my top. That's incredible. The 71 game, I remember vividly, my father, who was actually at Pearl Harbor when it was bombed, he didn't have much use for football. But that day on Thanksgiving, he brought down that old black and white TV set and let me watch it during the meal. I'll never forget that game. What was the greatest season in college football history, sir? You know, I don't, I don't, I can't come up with one season of college football. To me, uh, Jay, they are all tremendous seasons. I mean, we could go back to that Oklahoma-Nebraska one uh, where, I mean, you had teams like Ohio State, USC were dominant. I think I'd probably, maybe if I had to pick one, I would go back to that 1971 one. Fantastic answer. The biggest upset. You know, I could tell you that statistically the biggest upset of all time was when Howard was plus 45 and they beat UNLV 2017, but mm. that's not worthy of being on here. Another big upset was when Stanford was a huge upset against USC. They were a 41-point dog. Remember Jim Harbaugh just starting out at Stanford? Um, they would had no chance, and they upset USC in 2007. That really got Stanford going. But to me, the biggest upset would be, let's go back to 1998. Ohio State was basically unstoppable. And I feel Ohio State was the best team in the country in 1998. They were blowing out opponents by four touchdowns per game. They were taking on some Michigan State team that was four and four. They had some young head coach. What was his name now? Nick Saban? Whatever happened to him? <laughs> uh, anyway, the, the Ohio State came into that game a 27 and a half point favorite. And it was just unthinkable that Michigan State could win that game. Saban and company pulled the upset, and uh, now the rest is history when it comes to that guy, Nick Saban. But really, at the end of the year, if you look at it, I felt that Ohio State was the best team at the end of the year. They didn't even get to play in the national title game because of that upset. What outstanding answer. And now for the final question, perhaps unfair, greatest team. Yeah, way unfair. <laughs> but I am going to go with uh, let's go back to Nebraska, 1971, that big win over Oklahoma, which was huge. You know, you get to a, your bowl game and you take on some coach named Bear Bryant. You beat him 38 to six. That's a pretty doggone good team. Although I have to tell you, Jay, I have been very impressed the last two national champions. I mean, LSU just mm. absolutely destroyed everybody after their first three or four games, including in the playoffs, just an absolutely dominant performance. And then how about even Alabama last year? They were a team that played 10 regular season games against the SEC, had to win another game to, in the SEC championship, and then won their two playoff games and dominated Ohio State in the championship game. You have to bring them into the mix, but I'm going to go with the 1971 Nebraska team. Another outstanding answer. Well, thank you, Mr. Phil Steele. Phil Steele, author of the most accurate college football preseason magazine, College Football Preview. He may be found on Twitter at philsteele 42 That's at P-H-I-L-S-T-E-E-L-E-042. -E -E Follow this man. Thank you for listening to History of College Football. I am Jay Abramson. Join us every Tuesday and Saturday for a new episode. <laughs>